Hey gamers, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now. I have episode 204 of the podcast that was originally recorded on May 18th of 2018. This week I interviewed another content creator. His name is Matt Lemke. He runs a website called Through Gamer Goggles. You can check out his website from the link I have in the show notes, as well as his YouTube channel and his upcoming Kickstarter that we will be discussing on the show. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the games. This is Joe Luzzi from What I'm Playing Now, and I am back here with another episode of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. I have Matt Lemke with me from Through Gamer Goggles. Matt, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for being here. Yeah. So we were talking before all this started. I think we I had mentioned we originally met last year at Origins. Um, cause I was looking through some of my old business cards from last year and I was like, I go, was this the one guy that Alan introduced me to last year? I, cause I remember there was a local, a local gentleman that somebody that Alan had introduced me to and we really didn't stay in touch or anything. And, um, after our conversation that we had before the show, I'm definitely hoping we, we talk more after this as well. Um, but you're going to be starting a Kickstarter, but let's not jump into that yet. I'm getting a little bit ahead of the game. I was looking through some of your content, looking through some of your um, website and everything like that. So let's start off with some nice interview questions here before we start getting into some of the Kickstarter stuff. Um, and I, I probably could add more questions to this um, since our since we've actually started talking this evening. But um, what, what got you into modern gaming, modern board gaming? Or I'm going to expand that since we've actually been talking a little bit. Because I know you do a lot of miniature stuff, and I know you do a lot of role-playing. What do you think got you into the whole, maybe, gaming world? Definitely Dungeons & Dragons. Dungeons & Dragons? Um, my brother, actually, I can, I know what I was playing. It, it was uh, the <laughs> Temple of Elemental Evil. <laughs> nice, nice. I was in, we've, all, we've all played that. <laughs> I was in third grade, and I didn't know how to save my character from a poisonous spider. Uh, <laughs> Was your, was your brother the GM at the time? Yes, he was. He was? And he was the DM? All right, cool. Uh, that was actually the first and last time he GM'd for me in ages. Um, I mean, like 10 or 15 years after that, he didn't GM or play a role-playing game with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found out that a couple of kids on the bus played. So I'd come home from school in third grade, fourth grade. I'd walk down the street and well, through the woods. I lived in Hinkley, so no street. <laughs> it's almost back then. It was still almost like Amish country, um, and we would play a few few hours at a time, and then that kind of I don't know what happened to D anD D in third to sixth grade, but in sixth grade, I actually created my own role playing game. Oh, nice! It was crap. <laughs> We've all we've all started to do that. I remember doing that as a teenager on my parents' porch in the summer. We're tired of all this stuff. Let's make our own game. Well, we still <laughs> played this. plenty. We still played plenty of D and D. I mean, <laughs> plenty. We would go, but we we were we thought we were normal. Um, but we would get off. We would go to different people's houses on Friday. It's, and it's then, normal. It's normal in my world. Well, Monday morning we'd get on the bus from their house oh okay 
we would go in the basement with like two liters of pop and chips and <laughs> we would come out with sometimes no sleep and go to school. That's awesome. And we pretty much did that all the way through high school. Uh, but one of the other things that my brother did, and actually I don't play too many of these anymore because I never got into buying them, but we played squad leader. Oh, wow. In D-Day. We played, I mean, here I was third and fourth grade and I was playing SSI games. See, that was the one thing that I don't think anybody in my gaming group back then, I mean, I was kind of the one who started the whole D&D thing because I walked into a Borders bookstore one day and saw Dungeons and Dragons there and I looked at my mom like, I want this. It just looks cool. My mom's like, all right, I'll just buy it for you. And so I took it home and started reading through the book and it was right around my birthday and actually had a bunch of school friends over for my birthday and tried to be a DM for my first time tr- playing and trying to help a group of people roll up characters and then take them through a dungeon. And I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Yeah. Well, you know, we did I, somewhere in there. There's a role play ramblings on when I was a kid, we played a lot of hack and slash. And now that I'm adult we play a lot of character role playing. Um, there, there's a certain amount of maturity that came from start to finish. And I don't necessarily think it was just me maturing as an adult. I think it was me understanding the games more. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was young, we really did a lot of creativity stuff. Like there were three of us primarily. I mean, there were a lot more people than I had played. Like I had one guy that played the Marvel games. So I guess that's another person who played Marvel superheroes quite a bit. Yep. Um, and then there was, there was Bobby. Bobby DM'd a lot for Top Secret. He didn't really like to play Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. So we played we played a lot of Top Secret with him and Marvel superheroes. But then there was Eric and Kurt, and we would get together, and sometimes we'd have a fourth person. But for the most part, it was the three of us, and we would play D&D, and we all DM'd. But I don't think any one of them put time into it the way I did. <laughs> we had a model railroad table in the basement that my dad was working on, and he decided that I've got too much real-life stuff to do. So he stopped doing it. And I put, I taped down hex paper to a six foot by 12 foot table. Okay. Yours is, a little just, big, your, yours is a little bigger than mine, but my dad had the same thing and we did the same thing and we started drawing a world. Yep. I designed the whole world on that. <laughs> I have no idea how many hours I spent doing that. You know, it was that and like, okay, so by the time I was in high school, I didn't game as much in high school. It was, it was uh, ETS, which is Equipping the Saints, a discipleship program. And then I was a martial arts madman. Okay. I mean, I was in high school. I was probably training 25 to 30 hours a week. Wow. I was oh, hardcore. People actually called me American Shelling. <laughs> What belt were you? Were you black belt? No, I never. That teacher. Well, I'll be politically correct. He was. He did not advance me to the point of beyond usership. Um, I was student teaching at fourteen. Oh wow! Uh, and there was a time that I had a class of sixty, eleven to fourteen year olds that I taught alone. Damn, that's a lot of kids. Yes. And I managed, I mean, it was only a 45 minute class, which helped. But I, I taught all them. And there was, I mean, there was a, that is a whole nother story. I mean, he, he went through a divorce and he disappeared for a couple of years. And then when he came back, 
he's like, I need your help. On, I helped him, and I was student teaching again. Mm-hmm. And I was with him for nearly 12 years, and I heard him say, he goes, well, if I give Matt his black sash, he will just go and open his own school, so he's never getting it. Oh, wow. That's... So I left, and I went to another school. That's like a kick to the nuts. <laughs> uh, it was after that that many years of relationship. And, yeah. I mean, martial arts ministry team together. and Wow. It was, it was a good kick. So I was just like, okay, it's time to move on. A couple years later, I found a new school, but uh, he became a police officer and had to close his school. But he actually encouraged me to open my own school. And I'm mm-hmm. like, but I don't have I don't have the credentials. So I never did it. Because, um, I mean, when it comes to the martial arts, very few people have the knowledge that I have probably in the U.S. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm way, way up here um, above above the plane, but I'm way above the plane. Um, and when I was younger, I would watch videos of what I did, and then I watched videos of, like, the Wushu team in the Olympics, and I'm like, we did that exact same form, but we did it better. Oh, wow. You know, and I mean, I couldn't do that now. But when I was younger with the martial arts, it was, we didn't compete much. When we did compete, we just won. I mean, I would go to a tournament and I'd, I'd win in fighting, I'd win in breaking, I'd win in weapons forms, I'd win in open hand forms, I'd win in self-defense. If they had something that we'd never done before, I'd win in it. That's cool. Like we had, we went to this one tournament. He's like, you should go staff fight. I go, I've never done it. He goes, just do your form. So I did my form and I won. Swept the tournament. Wow. Um, it was, and it didn't even feel like it was a new experience. I mean, (laughs) but knowledge wise, this is like most martial arts forms you learn or systems, I should say, you learn a handful of forms. Mm Mm-hmm. I know 32 different weapon forms. Okay, that does seem like an awful lot. And I have never done that before. It it (laughs) It seems like an awful lot. A lot of martial arts systems will only have one, two, or three weapons forms in them. And I know 32 different weapons forms. Damn. Because of the way, I mean, well, you know, his teacher died when he was learning. So he got, he got a black belt and a, Kenpo, so he could start teaching with the, the credentials, and then um, he just started like he learned from Kui Jing or Kui Jing Min, 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 a Tai Chi teacher who passed away a few years ago. Um, he used to bring him down Sifu Yali, who was Wu Shu, and I never met the guy who taught him Choi the Foot, but he was learning all these different things and combining them into one system. So we would learn all this stuff. Wow. And I absorbed it probably because I was working out 25 to 30 hours a week. That is, that is a lot of hours. And I can see why if you were doing that, you weren't able to game as much. (laughs) Well, I still gamed heavy on the weekends. (laughs) I mean, we, but you know, the other guys had jobs and stuff. So that's it. Their jobs actually got in the way of gaming. Yeah. Um, I mean, I worked for my parents, but I would come home. I'd come home at six o'clock. I'd go game till three in the morning, come back and go to work on Sunday at six o'clock in the morning. But, you know, it was actually the martial arts. I didn't know this until like five or six years ago. The martial arts actually was a balance. That's when I started getting good grades. Um, Because up until that time, I struggled in school. Right. Up until the time I was working out 25, 30 hours a week. I was like, I don't know. I can't focus. I can't do this. And I thought it was this little study course I took 
on a Saturday at school, but it turns out the my son's doctor told me he goes, "Well, you probably have ADHD or some form of autism too, mm-hmm. because it's hereditary." And I'm like, "Oh, I know that. I know now that I'm dyslexic. That was not caught when I was in school. Oh wow! And I made it through college." <laughs> <laughs> How the hell did you do that? Making it through college. Damn. Okay. That's impressive, my friend. <laughs> was, I, I give the credit to the martial arts because. Because it kept you focused, basically. Well, the complex muscle movements also help. There, when you have autism, ADHD stuff, there's like a, a bigger gap between the two brains. Okay. So it takes longer to jump is what how the one doctor explained it to me. Hmm. But the, using both sides of the brain at the same time is like an exercise that helps combat them. Okay. So anytime you do ballroom dancing, Pilates, Tai Chi, Kung Fu, Karate, where you're doing movements with both sides of your body at the same time and using opposite sides of the brain, you're going to lessen the deficiency. Interesting. That is very interesting. Okay. So I started working out again, and I am a lot more focused. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So for my next question, what made you decide to start doing all the content creation stuff that you've been doing and how long have you been doing? Because it sounds like you've been doing it for at least eight years. I've heard you mention eight years. Have you been doing it for longer than that? This is actually the start of the eighth season. Okay. So um, actually it is May 11th of 2011 was the first time I posted a blog post. All right. Um, Did you just start writing blogs at the beginning? Did you just do all written stuff back then? Well, I didn't. Yeah, that wasn't very long. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was, well, I was actually, it was at a point in my life where I was unemployed. And uh, one of my friends that I get hooked on riffs in college contacted me and said, Hey, what are you doing? I go, not a lot. <laughs> Hanging out. Hanging out. And he's like, well, he goes, you know, I do this with riffs. And we started playing. He actually got me. This probably goes back a little bit before that. Um, we were playing riffs online on, uh, I don't remember the name of the forums, but we were playing an online game. And that game fell apart. And then somewhere, probably January or February or March, he's like, you should do this. I'm like, nah, I'm not good enough. And he goes, nobody in our area has the skill that you have. You had your own game store. You got me hooked on role-playing. And you've been role-playing since like 1986. And... You know, I know that you have had a store since we graduated. So you know a lot about all these different games. You should be using that knowledge. He goes, I dare you to do it. So I started doing it. <laughs> um, and surprisingly, back then, it was supposed to be a much more of a reflection of what I'm doing. Okay. Um, and it kind of grew into something totally different. And I'm kind of trying to go back to that. Back then, it was originally supposed to be about the miniature games I was playing because I was playing a lot more miniature games back then because well, I had a lot more time. And, and you have a lot of miniatures. We've we've already discussed that before the show even started. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I have probably close to 40,000 miniatures. That is, just, that is just insane. When I talk to my wife later, I'm going to be like, this dude has 40,000 minis. I mean, <laughs> you imagine. People, <laughs> so, it's just crazy. <laughs> and now you know i want i want, i like to cook so i wanted it to reflect that because food gaming community mm-hmm. good, good stuff so <laughs> i wrote like half a dozen posts and i wrote stuff about burgers and i wrote some stuff about gaming i'm like you know how about i just start 
regurgitating some news to, to help draw people here. So I started, I got on a news list for, um, from Alliance uh, and I, I repost some of the news. So there's another, you know, another voice. Um, and I do, I do a lot of that and that actually helps the webpage a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, he's like, so there's this convention in Hudson in October. We should go to that. I go, what are we going to do? He goes, well, we can interview people. I'm like, how big do you think this convention is going to be? I <laughs> got on the cop prior to this for a couple of years and I hadn't gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go, I don't want to do all that paper stuff. He goes, well, go buy a voice recorder. I'm like, oh, okay. So I bought a voice recorder and went up there and I ended up doing like 18 interviews. Nice. I will, I will say doing the podcast out of, uh, you're going to be on episode 204. My interview shows are probably some of my more favorite shows because I just love talking to people and just hearing some of the great stories they have about games and gaming and just their history with everything. You know, like the story you just said with your, you know, martial arts, and everything outstanding story. And those are the types of things I just like to, to talk about, you know, when I, when I do the show and that's, it's, I think as, as I evolve my show more interviews are probably what I want to start focusing on. I think a little bit more interviews are fun. I mean, cause it's just a blast to talk to people. I'm just, I just have such a good time doing it. They're just fun. I mean, one of the, well, we'll get probably get to this later. But uh, back to it, and then he, uh, you know, he dared me, and then I'm like, okay, I'll download Audacity, and I'm like, huh, who knows how to use Audacity? My brother, <laughs> my brother actually has an independent radio station. Oh, um, nice! Oh, that's station. awesome. Well, he doesn't he doesn't do it as much as he used to. He, he misses it. He's got a full time job, so he he's having a harder time balancing it. Um, it's INFM. Well, I call it INFM. He calls it IndianNation.FM, but I call it INFM because that's modern. <laughs> He's my older brother. <laughs> um, but, you know, so actually there was a time I was double posting and stuff, and I was posting stuff there and posting stuff here. He actually went to Gen Con with me one year and covered it for his radio station. Oh, that's cool. But he fo- well, he focused on the music guys at Gen Con. They I, never have even, all, I never even thought about that. That's actually they, really, yeah. They have all the music artists and stuff. And yeah, uh, those guys are great guys too. I, I, Dan the Bard is wild. And actually, um, <laughs> you live in Sandusky. So check out Con on the Cop and see who they're bringing in for music if you want to do that. Um, yeah, we were. I was just at Concoction and they actually had a few people up at Concoction as well. Yeah. Well, Con on the Cob is usually like 700 people, but you can get Andy Hop and um, you can grab him and interview him. He does some uh, RPG stuff for Savage Worlds. He's got his whole, whole, whole world um, yeah. to mentalism. And then uh, Sean Patrick Fannin is there every year, who is a big Savage Worlds writer. Uh, I've been to Con on the Cob once. I was actually two years ago, I think I went and I was running the. It was when I was doing the Pathfinder Adventure Card Game down at the local game store around here. And I ran it for about three years. And the one. Um, I can't remember what. The the word is for the the way they have the path, the different Pathfinder levels of the. For, for the people who run the games. 
um, the one guy asked me, he goes, would you mind doing the card game? Because all they did normally was the RPG stuff. And I go, yeah, I go, I'll run the card game. And I don't think anybody actually showed up to play. I sat there for like the one day and I was like, okay, nobody wants to play the card game. <laughs> Sadly, that's not uncommon at Con of the Cobb. <laughs> Con of the Cobb is a, well, we can talk about Con of the Cobb later, but it's a weird, it's, it's a kind of like a guardian. It's a gaming party. Um, yeah. It was started by an artist to play games with his friends. Uh, it started off really small at his house and grew into what it is. And w- when they moved, they, they used to be over closer to the Turnpike and 270 or in eight, Route 8. Yeah. When they, when they moved to the Richfield area, they lost some flow of people and it kind of changed a little bit. And it's trying to refine what it, redefine what it is. Yeah, I think I was oh. at the one when they were out at Richfield a couple of years ago. I think that was the, right. fir- that was either the first one or the second one. Yeah. There. Um, but shortly after Con on the Cobb in 2011, I ended up buying a camera around Christmas time. Okay. Um, actually, before that, let's back up. I bought two cameras that year. The first camera was a high definition camera, and I knew so much about the camera world that I thought it was going to be bomb diggity good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was a high definition camera in 1998. Oh wow. <laughs> so I filmed my first YouTube video with that camera on how to make bread. Wow, okay. Am, That's kind of cool. I, I am not joking you. It snows in that video. It's like oh. watching an old black and white. That's crazy. That video's got like 2 or 3,000 views. People love that video. I'm going to have to look for this video now. Might have to put it in the show notes. Then I, you know, <laughs> I, I told you, my friend wrote some letters and got some games coming to the, sto- to the house. Mm-hmm. I said the store. And I was like, well, um, hmm. well, I, I will. I'll, I'll do these. And then I'm like, well, you know, I play a lot of heavy gears. So I reached out to the guys in Canada for heavy gear, which is DreamPod 9's game. And I reached out to Eric Mona, which, by the way, was extremely difficult to do, who is uh, the vice president of Pathfinder, or Pfizer. Okay. And, I mean, I was diligent. I really wanted to work on Pathfinder stuff. Okay, yeah. I emailed him every day for 30 days. And then and I started he, and he calling didn't him. block you. He didn't block me, no. <laughs> okay, that's... And then I ended up calling him until he answered the phone. <laughs> That's hey, persistence sometimes pays off. And he goes, Okay, I'll give you some stuff. And uh, honestly, if it wasn't for Eric Mona, if it wasn't for Eric Mona and gaming with juice, I would not still be here. All right, so you got a camera, you're talking to Paizo and everything. How do you come up with the name through Gamer Goggles? I honestly don't remember, but I, I honestly think it was, <laughs> I, I think it was like, I want something cool because. But the plan was, and this is part of the food and everything else, and I have not done a really great job at doing this. The plan is to have it a blending of real life with the gaming world, which is extremely difficult to do without segregating. Yeah. Unless you, you know, unless you have like 25 people come over for a gaming party and you cook the whole meal and film it from start to finish and you almost need a crew for and that is funny because my wife had a similar idea to that. She's like, let's do like a show where we're doing 
a gameplay. And then at the end, let's make, you know, like, and we could be eating a dish and maybe drinking some beer or something that goes along with a theme. And then at the end, we can show like how we make it, like how they do those sped up videos like you see on Facebook and everything. I'm like, I like the idea, but I have enough trouble just getting us through a full board game playthrough, teach, and then a review, let alone adding food into the mix as well. <laughs> yes, start small. I actually... <laughs> I was like... <laughs> One of my ambitions is to add a food. I said one of my well, one of my ambitions is to add food to the channel or make it a new channel. Yeah, um, and I think that's part of the problem with your gamer goggles. Is I do role playing, I do miniature gaming, I do board gaming. It's almost like it needs to be three separate channels. That's I'm kind of I'm really torn as to whether I should do that or not because well they all reflect me, which seems kind of chaotic, and I'm not really chaotic. I mean I'm everywhere because I am a squirrel and crack. <laughs> in a holocaust <laughs> it's the ADHD alright so you like RPGs you like the minis you've already answered a couple of the questions I had on my list but let's see if you can pick your favorite child what's your favorite RPG would you say that you've played over the years are you favorite gonna RPG are you going to harken back to uh, like wow. original Dungeons? so when you started playing D&D I'm guessing we're probably similar in age. I mean, I started with the red box. I, 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 I skipped the red box. I, I had the red and blue box, and then we actually picked up, you know, advanced once we started playing through those. You know, I had the basic and expert sets. You know, I made then, my then, first character with the player's handbook. Oh, so you started with advanced then. Okay. And then I went back and I bought everything as I got older. <laughs> no, I, I really did. I, I bought my... Because I started working for my parents when I was like eight years old. Okay. So I had, when I was a kid, I had an income, um, sort of. I mean, I worked on the weekends in the summer. Uh, I didn't always work all winter. But by the time I was in high school, if I wanted a G.I. Joe figure or if I wanted a D&D book, I bought it. I didn't ask. I bought it. I was I was pretty much the same way. And I was talking to a couple of people about that at work. I cut lawns, and I cut lawns throughout my whole neighborhood. And I mean, I was able to buy my first computer. I was able to buy my first TV, you know, when I was like 13, 14 years old, I pretty much had money that I earned. And my parents were like, they made me save some, but they let me buy stuff if I wanted it. And if I had earned it, you know, they're like, yeah, go for it. You know, they didn't say, no, you have to set, set this away for your college savings. You know, they were, they were cool with that. Yeah. So back to which one's my favorite, you know, there's. I tend to like the three five to Pathfinder quite a bit. I was just I was just gonna say for as much as you fought to cover Pathfinder, is Pathfinder maybe your favorite? It I, <laughs> I well I have not played nearly I haven't been able to break out of the three five mold. Okay. Um I've had a we've been running well, we my friend has been running a game for nearly ten years. Oh, holy crap. Wow. That's awesome. Well, you know, he works in the restaurant business, so like November through about now, we don't get to play that much. Um, so, but we've been actually playing the same characters now for five years. Wow! And we're well, we're only at ninth or tenth level. I think we're supposed to go to tenth. I don't remember. Um, so, I mean, it's it's not always a fast moving game. We get to play sometimes twice a month, but most of the time we only get to play once a month. All right. Yeah. But they didn't want to buy the new books when they came out for Pathfinder. So we just kept playing Eberron. And I really like the Eberron. I think if I picked a campaign system, Eberron wins. Okay. Um, I really like the mechanics of 3-5. I 
I think Pathfinder is at the point where second edition makes perfect sense. I think it's become a little too encumbering, a little too crunchy. Uh, as a kid, we played so much Rifts. Rifts, the Palladium system was great. I think there's, I think Palladium definitely needs a second edition, maybe a third edition to get caught up. Um, but it's still good because for me, it's like as a GM, I would rather GM something like Pathfinder or 3.5 or D&D 5th Ed. As yeah, a player, I mean, it's, it's it seems like fifth edition has definitely caught on from what I've seen, like down at the local game store. There's definitely more people playing that um, well, I think than, I had ever, than I had seen in quite a while because it seemed like Pathfinder was really popular. And I had actually gotten into Pathfinder a couple years ago and had started playing, um, you know, some Pathfinder because I hadn't played crap. Probably the last time I had role played was probably back in college, and that was Iron Crowns. Um, I can't even remember the damn system that it was. I remember it was Iron Crown. It was Ice that had done it, and the the game the name yeah. is completely blanking on me right now. Spell not Spellcraft. I can't think of what it was, but it was. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was actually at the time back in college. You know, this was the early nineties. I was like, wow, this is actually I think actually better than D anD D at the time. Um, well, in college, I played a ton of riffs. Yeah, and then I really hadn't played again for quite a while, and then when I I saw the people playing Pathfinder, and I was actually playing and running the Pathfinder Mitch card game. I go, let me try Pathfinder and see how it is. And I started playing it um, once a week for a while, was really enjoying it. And um, then it was just cutting into t- – I saw people playing the board games over there while we were doing the role-playing. And I was like – I saw somebody unboxing a board game, and I'm like, I kind of wanted to play that board game. And I'm not going to get to play it now because I'm playing Pathfinder. And I think I slowly gravitated – I, what I tried to do was one day a week play RPGs and one day do board games. And then it was like, okay, I need two to do, to do board games because I was seeing too many people play board games that I wanted to play that I wasn't get to play. Time balance is rough. <laughs> um, no, but uh, I think I think I think Five E is succeeding right now because it has simplified and taken a lot of the stuff the junk out of it right, for right. people that have been playing years and years of three five and Pathfinder. Um, I've played 5e I have played maybe I don't know three campaigns since it came out and I think maybe I, I still need more time to actually make this decision but I think maybe they might have oversimplified it but where they're succeeding is in their approved play their approved play system is superior to any other role-playing system I've seen for approved play. You get the one book plus X, right? And you show up, you play that character. You go home, you put the character away, you show up next time, you play a different character. It's brilliant the way, the way they do their approved play. So do you think Pathfinder, do you think Paizo's made their playthroughs a little bit more difficult? Because it seems like when I was playing a couple of years ago, it seemed like, you know, you either had a character that was, uh, you know, a society player or wasn't. And then they started. When I went back to almost revisited, it, it seemed like there were a couple of people telling me, well, you need to have this type of character, or this type of character. We're playing this tonight. And I was like, uh, what the hell is all that? When did oh, this change? <laughs> yeah, they did make a they did make a change here. Now, a lot of that was because of certain types of number crunching that were going on. I, I, I talked to I didn't talk to anybody about about it at paizo but i talked to some players about it and they're like well if you do this and this it's just no fun for anybody else in this particular okay. campaign all right um so I, I think that's how that materialized uh and i think 
second edition, I don't know if you've been following their blog or not, but second edition is a very good movement in the right direction, I think, at least so far. Some of the things they're doing are really cool. I mean, they feature, they're featuring the things in the right order. Like they featured Alchemist, and I always felt Alchemy was one of those things in 3.5 that was too hard to do at low levels. At mid-levels, it was kind of okay. And at high levels, you might as well not be an alchemist. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, I never played uh, one. Well, that's why I never played them. I just looked at how they deal damage and stuff. I'm like, this is a rogue who can throw things or, you know. <laughs> you know, and it's just like he can't keep up with damage. Well, now they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff like um, increased splash damage. And, I mean, it just poisons and toxins are going to be so much better um and it just sounds like they're going to be actually playable do you have a favorite type of class you like to play oh i tend not to play magic users that much but outside of that i think after well after playing our eberron campaign i don't know if i will ever not want to play a rogue at least multi-class because well the story is Ring, ring. Hey, Matt, you want to play some D&D? Sure. He goes, what kind of character do you want to play? What do we need? Well, we need a healer, a fighter, and a thief. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) How many players are playing? Three. I go, so what do we have? He goes, we have a warlock, a psionicist, and a cleric. Oh, my gosh. I'm I'm like, "Um, can I play two characters? He goes, no, you're only playing one. (laughs) Give me 24 hours. So I called him back up, and I said... How about a paladin rogue? He goes, if you can come up with a way to make it work and not lose good in the alignment, we'll see. He wouldn't let you be anti-paladin? No. (laughs) Um, Well, probably because I said paladin. Uh, So I came up with the idea and I said, well, the Aranali elves of Eberron are a little bit different, so... Maybe we can make it that he's a defender of the realm. Um, and because he's a defender of the realm and they stay to their continent, I'm not allowed to let anybody know I'm an Aaron else. So we built it into this. We built a new class that was, well, we didn't really build it. It was, it was multi-class Rogan Paladin. But we built it in such a way that he couldn't do certain things because of the religious beliefs of the Aaron like loot the dead. He couldn't steal from people that were good or not his enemy. Okay. Um, he couldn't take... Now, if he went to a battlefield and they weren't properly prepared, that was open game. But if we ever went into a crypt, I couldn't take any. So I had to find other ways to, to do things. And the character was just turned out to be a real blast to play. He turned out to be more of an investigator. Um, oh, that's cool. That's an interesting take on that. Yeah. He Well, because of the way the story matured, he kind of became an investigator he'd go to the streets and get answers and things like that but in, in the same sense he was very much if you watched burn notice a michael weston okay i mean i originally tried playing him more like neil caffrey but that didn't work out with the way we built the character class so as he matured he became more of a michael weston so my first character that i had ever played and around the area here back when I was a kid, there used to be a, a hobby store called the Clearview Hobby Shop. And on the weekends, Saturday and Sundays, they would have their basement opened up and let people play down there for free. And that was the first 
place I went and kind of truly played Dungeons and Dragons. And the one guy helped me roll up um, a paladin and came up with a really cool name. And I, it, that the name was Aviar Amadar, and I still actually use Aviar as kind of like a nickname. It's actually my name on Board Game Geek. <laughs> that's funny. Um, <laughs> Paladin for your first character, though, that's pretty rough. But Especially was, back then, it was it was a. I had a blast playing that, and it was it was super cool. I had a Paladin, and we took him all the way to thirty sixth level in twelfth wow. grade. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, we cheated. So besides besides this monthly meetup that you have, do you do you have a normal role playing group that you meet up with more regularly, or is no. that or is that how much you're RPGing nowadays? That's pretty much how much I, I RPG. But I'm oh, trying. Wow. I am trying to like Freedom Gaming and Hobbies right around the corner, like two and a half miles. Um, I've been playing X Wing up there lately. Okay. I've been in an X Wing lake. And I actually want to start running something up there because they actually, or even just getting up there to play, but. My work schedule slash being a dad has not allowed me to go up there to play. Um, I, I want to play some more 5e stuff so I can talk about it more intelligently. Uh, and But no, that's that's pretty much about it. I've been wanting to play some Savage Worlds because I did buy in to the Savage Worlds Kickstarter. So I have all of the Rift stuff for that. Um, and I actually have Dungeon Fantasy sitting here. For GURPS, and I have never played GURPS. I actually thought GURPS, like, people told me what GURPS was when I was a kid. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it, even though I played D&D. Yeah, I had never, I don't think I ever played GURPS back in the day. Um, But when we're talking about Paizo, have you played much Starfinder? I made a character. I haven't okay. played it yet. Um, the changes, well, it, what, if, look to Starfinder to see what Pathfinder 2.0 is going to be like. All right. Um, I'm not, because I haven't leveled characters up yet, I'm not totally sold on all of the changes they're making. Um, but Pathfinder or, or Starfinder looks fun. Um, I actually want to make more characters and do another how to video on using dice because i hate point by yeah i've always liked using dice now back in the day i remember one of the guys had taught taught us how to play traveler back in the day have you ever messed much messed around much with that system i played traveler and i played um twilight 2000 oh no okay cool we played a lot of twilight 2000 in sixth grade I loved I loved Traveler back in the day. I remember the little box set that they had and everything. And then I, I, I actually have a bunch. I think I still have my box. I may have that over here in my bookcase next to me, actually. <laughs> yeah, I played that. I played Top Seat. I, I played Mech Warrior. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, we loved oh. Mech Warrior. The only thing you did is get in close combat. Yeah, I don't think I, don't think I ever played that one. Uh, I did I, play some Battletech miniature games. You did not then. want to get into combat as a pirate. <laughs> not hand-to-hand, no. Ruptured spleen, oh, he bleeds out in 20 minutes. Nothing you can do about it. Your character just died. It's like, I played Lord of the Rings. Um, not the new one. Not the one that, um, I don't know, maybe they had the license back then. Uh, I don't know who made it, but it, back in 98, one of the guys that lived on my floor played Lord of the Rings, and we went there to play. And Lord of the Rings, 
the role-playing game was nothing like the movie. <laughs> Unless you were a superhuman character. Like, those characters... But so, in Dungeons & Dragons, you, you look at, like, a king and stuff. Adventurers are really pretty rare. Even though you're playing with a group of people that there might be 5 to 10, depending on the size of the game, who have leveled up to 10th level, they're like superhuman people. Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings is the game that defines that idea better than any. Because like, if you got hurt in Lord of the Rings, you died. Oh, wow. <laughs> you died. <laughs> <laughs> like... Those, those, like in the movie when uh, they're in by the well and they bring out the troll. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In the game, a troll could take out like whole companies. All right. Yes, yeah, so you don't mess you've, with them. You've got this party of the fellowship that kills a troll. <laughs> <laughs> so they're pretty bad to the bone. So you mentioned you're playing some X-wing. You playing any other board games lately? Well, board games, I I play as frequently as I can in practice. Like, uh, I picked up Cult, the 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 card game, which it, I can't remember the tagline for it. It's upstairs. Um, but Cult is a game from a company in Canada, and it's kind of like uh, Cards for Humanity, but All right. without being vulgar. So is it just C-U-L-T? Because um, there was, because wasn't there a cult RPG back in the day? Oh, there back was a the cult 90s? RPG. There was because there was even a collectible card game called Cult. If I remember from when I was actually working at a game store at the time back in the early nineties, early to mid nineties. Because I kind of, I think I still have that collectible card game over here in a box of card games behind me. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say, is this is this the same thing? No, no, it's not. Oh, it's, okay, it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a different one then. All right. Um, it's uh, actually they kickstarted this not too too long ago, a year or two ago. Hmm. I don't know if I saw that one on Kickstarter. Maybe I did. I don't know. There's so many Kickstarters. Do you kickstart a lot of stuff? I know my wife wants me to get off Kickstarter already. I, I do. do. <laughs> uh, I do not have the money to kickstart a lot of stuff. Actually, what have I kickstarted? I have bought um, Zombie Apocalypse. Defender of the Burbs, and I bought Folklore of the Affliction. I bought the Savage Rifts Kickstarter. I bought the Heavy Gear Starter, too, when they went to plastic. I don't That's know. about Kickstarter. it. There's just something about Kickstarter that is just fun. I tend to be skeptical. Oh, I no, I didn't buy that. I didn't buy that. But you're going to be starting a Kickstarter here soon, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk tonight. Yes, actually, I'm launching it Monday. Which so I'm looking. Is, I'm looking up the name of the game. You're looking up the name of Cult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it is spelled Cult. C U L T. It oh, it is C U L T. Okay, it's, it's box breaking two forty four people. All right, there you go. There was a little plug for his for his episode there. By uh, Bravely Told Games. I was going to say, I was wondering if it was spelled the same, because I was like, hmm, do they realize that there was already another game out? Because I think it was a whole RPG system. I think it was based around, like, Angels and Demons or something, if I remember correctly. I just yeah. kind of remember that as kind of like the iconography for it. Well, the premise of... Years ago, so, or 20 is, years ago. Um, 
is you convert followers. That's okay. The, that's the premise. And you're, you, you get this big box. Of, it, it's a party game. Hmm. Very much like Cards for Humanity. There's always more cultists than there are followers. I'm going to have to look for this one. It It's cool. I, I actually, I'm planning on bringing it to Origins. So. Especially if it's not adult, so we can maybe play it with some of them, like, you know, my wife's cousin's kids and stuff. Like oh, yeah, that. definitely. It's, it's <laughs> definitely kid-friendly. So let's talk. Let's chat a little bit about your Kickstarter. This is going to be your fourth or fifth Kickstarter? Because I saw you had several out there that have been successful. Fifth? This will be my fifth. Well, technically, it'll be my sixth. I deleted the one that didn't work. I did two the first year. Oh, okay. Um, and the, the fir- very first one I did, I built in. I had uh, – it was like I was trying to fund – five thousand dollars because i wanted to do badges pens pencils so i built all that stuff in but the problem with building all that stuff into your kickstarter without having a budget beforehand is (laughs) is that you've got to like so you've got 50 people who want to buy the pens and pencils from you but you have to order two thousand right yeah so you know after about a week and a half in i'm like oh this isn't going to work i have to rethink this so i pulled it and then I came up with the one I came up with, the first one, and I was like, hey, this worked. <laughs> um, and then I've done – I was going to do one every year, and I didn't. So I actually have gone roughly every other year. Uh, and there's there's a lot of reasons for that. One is I, I have always struggled with the balance between what amount of content should be free and why should somebody back me for something that's already free? Yeah, and we were that, discussing this before the show, but yeah, and that, yeah, that's, I agree with you 100%. That's always been my struggle. And I think this year, I have a much better package to offer people. It's uh, it's balanced. It, it has stuff from sponsors that are like, you know, decent, decent. Uh, not decent, but there's promos from tabletop gaming companies. There's some miniature sprues from wargaming companies and then there's some digital files of some rpg adventures and on top of that i'm gonna sculpt some stuff oh nice oh that's awesome well, i'm gonna sculpt it and then make a mold and then go out so for those people that play frostgrave the ulterior motives it has the option of like arcane discs i'm making three separate discs uh and then you guys can paint them yourself uh, you're not you don't want me to paint them <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a so, terrible painter, but I'm a slow painter. So how long have you been sculpting then? Because you've t- we've talked about quite a bit. I mean, martial arts and all that stuff. You've, you've never mentioned sculpting during any of this conversation here. When, well, okay. I mean, so I've got two-inch bases here for the discs. Okay. I'm going to fill them with clay and engrave something. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then I'm going to make a mold for it. But all right. Some of the other things, there's going to be an archway, which I might not sculpt. I might actually build a wood mold. All right. Like out of popsicle sticks or something and then, you know, decorate it up. I might not sculpt that. But there is a possibility of a statue if it goes far enough. I'll try and sculpt the statue. I'm not going to guarantee you anything good. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't. That's fair. At least if you state that, hey, that's fair. I haven't sculpted. I'm good with that. (laughs) I haven't sculpted anything since... 1990. I mean, I'd be I'd be sculpting a stick figure, and even that would probably be, you know, 
leaning over to the side and falling over. Well, I think I think when it comes to art, my advantage is I can see beauty in just about anything. So other people might not see it, but I will. Like the last thing I remembered sculpting got me an A in my ceramics class. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, we were supposed to do 15 projects in ceramics. I did three and I got an A. Well, those three must have been damn good then. <laughs> Actually, one of them was really bad. The other one barely got done. <laughs> like we had to do coil pots, you know, required by the state. And I, I got sick and then I got behind. So I was coiling these pots and she goes, today's the last day. You need five more inches or you fail. I'm like, there's 20 minutes in class left. And I'm sitting at this table, double table with seven other people. They're like, haha, Lemke, you're going to, you're going to get screwed. And I'm like, you know, who thinks I can do this in 20 minutes? And they're all like, no, I go, I got 20 bucks in my pocket that says I can. And they all looked at me and they're like, did you really just put $20 on the table? I'm in. So I ended up walking away with $160 from that table. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. So what I did is I put a flat piece on the bottom and I put pillars to hold up the coiled pot. So I gained four inches that way. And then I put mushrooms at the top to get get over it. Oh, my God. Hey, you know what? Sometimes you just got to do what works. And obviously it did. And that pot just broke a year ago. Oh, no. I'm surprised I had it that long. That's crazy. Um, and the, But the other thing I worked on, we had to make this functional, non-functional item. So it had something that would function in real life. But as art, it's non-functional. Or, I mean, it's non-functional in real life, like a lamp. Or no, a lamp's functional. Like a box. We had to sculpt something like that. And then we had to give it purpose, like on a desk. Okay. So I made a house, which I guess could be argued is functional. Um, and I came in one day and somebody had knocked down all the walls. So it, it fell in. And the table's like, so what are you going to do now? I go, it's real easy. I'm going to put some holes in the roof and I'm going to put some overgrown grass on the outside and I'm going to put some of those walls back up and break them down and it it's an overrun derelict of a house. But how's it functioning? It depends on all of it. So I put things Holy like right. Now that is thinking outside the damn box there, a pencil holder. How the hell did you even come up with that? Well, actually, just before that, I was cleaning out the chimney with a pencil. <laughs> Holy shit. All right, that's good. That's a good one. And that's what you're up against when you play me in a miniature stream. <laughs> All right. So now that now that we know what the sculpting is going to be like, what else is your what else are you having in this Kickstarter of yours? Well, like I said, there's digital digital product, and one of the things that I'm actually really looking forward to is Gaming Paper has allowed me to, which I haven't selected yet. They're allowing me to take like five pieces of or five pages from each one of their mega dungeons. Okay. And uh, then I have every intention when I hit X level, which I haven't figured out what that is yet. Um, I'm going to write an adventure that goes with it. Oh, awesome. 
So that's something I, I wanted to do last year, but I was just like, you know, without a map or, you know, I don't have the drawing skills to make a map. Um, and Eric's been a supporter of the Through Gamer Goggles Kickstarters pretty much since the beginning. And I said, hey, I want to do this this year. And he goes, I'm in. Um, I didn't ask him if I can write an adventure for it yet. There might be still some things in there that uh, he might not be allowed to do because I don't know who does the maps and you know the art for him. So I don't know if there's any kind of contracting there that that he has to work around. Uh, but I intend if I hit X dollars, which is probably going to be somewhere around right around the Gen Con funding stretch goal, I'm going to write an adventure. That's cool. Um, so now, no exclusives, right? Any are any exclusives or no exclusives? Well, there no, there okay. There are some things that are going to be first time seen. Okay. So there are no nothing. Nothing was made except for like the stuff that I'm producing, like the arcane discs and maybe an archway, a pit trap. I'm going to make a pit trap for Frostgrave, which all those things can actually double for RPGs. Um, those are going to be unique and exclusive. I mean, I might save the mold and make them again next year, but they're going to be unique and exclusive to through gamer goggles. Okay. Uh, but there's not, I haven't gone to like Greenbrier Games and say, hey, can you make 100 promos? And I only want to be the only person that can give them out. That, that doesn't right. exist. Um, if this goes well, maybe next year. I would really like to get to the point where I can go to a game that I like and be like, bam, let's, let's do this. Yeah, and if as long as they you know don't have licensing dilemmas like some companies have, um, where they can promote, then I don't see a reason why it couldn't happen. Maybe you could get a maybe you can get a Paizo, um, maybe Pathfinder um, adventure, maybe, maybe someday. <laughs> one, I need to be published before that happens, which I'm actually working on, and I hope to be pretty much ready to do the writing by Origins. Oh, nice! That's cool. Um, and actually, if the Kickstarter goes far enough, I might even work in my first game into this Kickstarter. Um, I have a game designed. I need to write the rules out. And then either after this is funded, I will start one in July or wait till September. Or I will just tack it onto this if this gets big enough. Is it a board game, RPG? It is a play-while-you-wait card game. Play while you wait card game. It is a card game that consists of 18 cards for two players, and you can play it in line while waiting to get your badge. Okay. It, it's actually kind of fun. Sounds <laughs> interesting. It was done on a dare. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've learned quite a bit about you this evening. Most of your achievements seem to have been accomplished through dares is what I'm kind of getting as the basis for a lot of your decisions to do things. Interesting. I will say, <laughs> but successful. It seems like it, it seems like you somehow pull these off. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. So is it a, so, I mean, the first thing I think of when you say something like that, I mean, the first thing I think of is love letter. Is it something like love letter is what I'm guessing? No, because love letters from more than two people. Um, and ah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, no, it's, usually, usually I game with my wife a lot here at home. So, so it's I think two players. Without giving away <laughs> the mechanics, um, it's a game that you can actually like. You can have a badge holder, and it has the whole game in it. You could tap the person on the shoulder in front of you and say, "Hey, I want to teach you to play a game. Pick a card." And I pick a card, and you pick them simultaneously, and you um, fight, and then the winner scores a point. First person three points wins. 
Okay. And like it, you can have ties and stuff. And I actually have ideas for beyond 18 cards because somebody's like, well, what if your Kickstarter does really well? You got to have stretch goals. So I actually have an expansion, <laughs> but I haven't play tested the expansion yet. So I, I, I don't really want to get involved with the expansion at all. It was originally designed to be 18 cards for several reasons. One, 18 cards is very easy to count. Yeah. And when I say count, I mean the, the counting. 18 cards of the right size is one sheet. Oh, uh, gotcha. Okay. So one sheet prints the whole game. So for something like less than $1,000, I can print two, three, four hundred copies of the game. That's actually very forward thinking there. Well, I, I was see you've thought about this quite a while for quite a bit there. That's that's actually very good thinking. Actually, no, the game was designed in six hours. Oh my gosh! I was driving home from a Depticon. So have you have you been to many unpubs or anything and played this and showed it to some people? I have showed it to some of the game designers and editors that I trust. Okay. Um, and Phil Reed is a firm believer that I should kickstart it. Hey, a couple other people are like you can kickstart it and then you still have your licenses or you can just license it out because they could easily see it being for lots of different licenses. Like they could see a D&D version. They can see a Pathfinder version. They can see a Shadowrun version. So it'd be it'd be easily easily to skin this skin the game to basically fit yes. a different IP. That's cool. That's actually. Yeah. I yeah, definitely kind of like definitely it, might yeah. be yeah that's a def that's a definitely a great approach to that because that definitely one makes it um broader appeal gives you a much larger range of an audience to hit because you can hit multiple different IP you know instead of just being almost like a niche you know type of game that's that's pretty cool if it has that type of flexibility there yeah it, I I would definitely agree with that and it's definitely something I want to do this year because it was two years ago at Adepticon that I designed it. And then I looked at finding the art. I got the art guy. Art's actually more expensive than the production of the game. So that's where it's at. I just have to finish writing the rules, come up with some symbols for what this means and this means so that as I advance, I can do this. Last year, I talked with some people about it at Gen Con. And I was going to kickstart it sometime over the fall into Christmas. and. I just never got finished with my work schedule. But now it's like, I, I want to get it done. Work work does get in the way of a lot of things, I've noticed, the older I get. Sadly. <laughs> so how long are you going to have your Kickstarter running for? Is it going to be a short Kickstarter? Is it going to be like a normal like 30-day run? Actually, I think it's going to be, let's see, I'm watching it Monday. I'm going to run it until... At least the Wednesday after Origins. Okay. Um, because I'm going to talk to more people. So what I want to do, my my unwritten goal is I've already got, even though Origins coverage is part of the Kickstarter, that should tell you how confident I am it's going to pass. It's going to fund. Um, I've already I've already committed to 20 interviews or 30. Oh, look, I changed it. Where's my Kickstarter? And you said you already had quite of this stuff. Um, oh, you, I've already got like twenty scheduled, so that's yeah. quite impressive. You're you're making me kind of look bad because I need to start scheduling mine for Origin. <laughs> so I committed to twenty Origins interviews as part of the funding, and I already have twenty six scheduled. Nice. So 
I'm probably going to add a stretch goal somewhere between the 2300 mark and Gen Con mark of I add 10 Origins interviews or whatever, because I'm going to hit 30 probably no problem. Yeah. Um, in fact, my inbox has seven emails from people that I tried contacting earlier in the week. Cool. So uh, I will probably hit 30. And my goal is to do that before Friday at 5. Because I want to play a, on Saturday. That's aggressive. Well, yes, I am definitely aggressive. I wow. Have, I have been called Klingon. Uh, <laughs> well, last year at Gen Con, I did 49. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I definitely didn't do that much. I tried to play more games at or last year was my first year at Origins, actually. Oh, okay. And it was my first year covering it as press. So I tried to just go around and just see and uh take a lot of photos, and then I would go back to the room and just write written reviews and throw a blog page up for the night and then post it to the different games I covered. Um, the different sections, I tried to break it up into different sections and post that up on a BGG. And that was kind of what I did last year. Yeah, I need it. I do not do immediate reporting, which I kind of regret, but I go down like Origins. After I closed my store, I ran events at Origins. And when I say I ran events at Origins, I had at one point in time 25 volunteers. Wow. Okay. And of the 25 volunteers, we were running close to 400 event hours which 98 of that was my responsibility. That's a lot of hours. <laughs> no, it's, it's not so, okay. They, they, they actually sat me down and talked to me and they're like, how are you going to do this? I go, what do you mean? Like, well, you're running this tournament here. You're running this tournament here. You're running this tournament here. I go, this one starts at four. That one starts at five. And that one starts at six. What's your problem with that? <laughs> and they're like, how are you going to run that and coordinate it? I go, you gave me a space. They're all right next to each other. I go, I don't understand your question. And they're like, how can you possibly run that many events at the same time? I go, well, my wife's going to keep score. I go, but I'm a magic judge. I can run 30 drafts at a time. <laughs> 30 was an exaggeration, but there was a time at a pre-release. I'm pretty sure I had 15 or 16 going all at once. Wow. So how, I, we haven't even talked about magic. How long have you been a magic judge? Well, not anymore. I stopped judging around Innistrad, but I had judged for nearly 14 years. Holy cow. Well, when I, like I, I own my own store Yeah. and I wanted to put people in the seats. So instead of, treating it like a store treated it like a destination gotcha um my second year of ownership i had credit with the dci for running 275 events nice so when did you start when did you personally start playing magic about 94 93 so pretty early yeah you were pretty early then because i think i had started right around the time when um, Antiquities had just come out. Oh, you started before me. And I had actually was a, I was actually able to pick up a couple of packs of Arabian Nights. You started before me. Not much. That was, yeah, that's that's when I had started. The first box I bought was Fallen Empires. Oh, holy! That was about the time I was quitting because I was hating the game at that time. 
I thought Fallen Empires was the bomb. <laughs> I hated Fallen Empires. The only, the best thing about Fallen Empires was right before Fallen Empires, I sold a box of Legends, let's just say, for a nice amount of money. Oh, I'm sure you did. <laughs> and to this day, I probably wish I still had that damn box of Legends. <laughs> I bet you do. I have, I have I have one treasure trove left for my magic days that I will probably be getting rid of at Origins. It is a full set of antiquities, almost in near mint condition, probably, that I don't think I've ever played with. Yeah, that, that, that'll get you a nice penny. Um, no, I have a horror story about Magic the Gathering. When I was a freshman at Akron U, a couple of my friends that I graduated high school with, played a lot of D&D with, were going to give me Six, no, seven boxes of magic cards. Okay. And I said, well, what's in here? And he said, oh, it's just these things and these things. They're all worthless. They're not worth a lot of money. None of the game is worth a lot of money. You're going to tell me Black Lotuses, brother. Black Lotuses. Oh, my gosh. In those boxes. I mean, this was this was from the time when yeah. people were thinking that they were worthless and didn't know what they meant. There must have been 15 of them. Oh my God! Moxes, Lord knows how many he had. Yeah, I had I had one full set of the Power Nine, and then I sold I sold it. You know, I I sold it basically for what I paid for it back in the day because when I was getting out, I was just I just sold it. I still have a ton of stuff behind me, but I sold some of the more expensive, what I thought were more expensive at the time, for basically what I had paid for the stuff. I mean, but I I quit playing. Like I said, I've Fallen Empires came out, and then the Dark. I think the Dark was basically the last box of boosters I bought. I like the Dark. The Dark was the Dark was pretty cool. It was, but I was. It was just getting to be too much. Um, I was starting to get into a few other things, and just like just yeah. like when I had started playing um, Dice Masters a few years ago, I told myself I'm never getting into another collectible game. I started playing Dice Masters, and Got into it early on, and I had to have everything. And then every quarter, they were coming out with new Dice Masters, and I'm like, okay, this is taking away from board game money. After about a year, I stopped playing Dice Masters. <laughs> yep. And I almost got into Dice Masters because it is a really good game. But It was it was good at the time. I had some issues with some of the rules. They kept changing a lot of the rules um, a little too quickly for me. Um, they were making changes constantly, and you were constantly having to go out to the back and read things and just keep up with the things. And I ran it down at the game store for a while, but it was just I, I it just got to be almost more of a job trying to keep up the, keep up with the rules than being able to enjoy the game. And that's and that, what I was like, I'm, that's when I'm like, I'm done with Dice Masters. That's exactly what it was like for me as a judge. It was becoming a job. Yeah. And I wasn't playing enough. I mean, Magic's one of those games where you can learn the rules, but you still have to play it to, right, to right. exercise them. And I wasn't playing enough. But, um, all right. So we've talked about so much stuff over the past hour or so that we've been talking. Um, so you're probably gonna hit an origins this year. Not too sure about Gen Con. Not sure about Gen Con at all. That's a, any other, any other local conventions you're going to be at? Oh, well, probably actually kind of close to each other. Probably Con on the Com. That's it. That's in November, isn't it? Yeah, it's in November now. Yeah. I want to in November, I think. And I think they just went on sale. I want to try PAX Unplugged sometime. I don't know if I'm going to make it there this year, but oh God, I want to try PAX Unplugged. My wife and I went to PAX East a couple of years ago, 
and they had a smaller board game section there, but it was still just so cool to go to. Yeah. Well, I have behind the scenes. Okay. So because of where we live, I mean, actually, I kind of wish I lived another hour to the east <laughs> or no, to the, to the west. Yeah. Um, that would, that would keep me still two hours from Columbus for origins, but it would make it a four hour drive to Indy and a four hour drive to Adepticon. Okay. I would love to have this Kickstarter make enough money that I can book my room and stuff. Adepticon. All right. Um, because I would love, I, three conventions is probably about perfect for my blog because my convention coverage is off the wall for amount of interviews I do. And I mean, I do 150 to 200 videos a year and 35 to 40 videos come out of Gen Con. So that's like 30% of my coverage. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, that's a lot. Yeah, that is. So if I don't go to Gen Con, it's going to effectively kind of hurt my channel, um, which is why I kind of beefed up Origins this year. I've been going to Origins ever since I ran games. But like, eh, I'll do what I can do. There was when John Ward took over, there was a definite slump in attendance and stuff. And it, it's really back on the rise again. Uh, so he's, he's done a good job with that. That they're innovating are really good for the community at, at Origins. Um, so I started paying more attention and trying to interview more people. But I usually, what I have been doing is spending the time at Origins to mingle with the companies that I want to build better relationships with that I don't get to speak with at Gen Con. Like the Renegade that's what, games. Yep. That's why I like Origins better. Because you can do that type of thing. Yes. You, you, do, get, you do get more stuff released at Gen Con. So your coverage there is going to be a little different and it's going to be a little for the people who want the latest and greatest, you know, and want that newest shiny and want it a month or two before everybody else. Gen Con is definitely the con to go to. Oh, yeah. But I like Origins because it's smaller. You can sit down and play the games. I mean, when I went to Origins, I was at Origins um, 49. I was at the year before it was 50. So I was there a couple of years ago and I, I, I enjoyed it. It was my first time there. It was, you know, you're like a kid in a candy store. I was like, oh, my God, this is completely crazy. But it was just so crowded. Just trying to even play a game that I wanted to play was almost impossible because you almost had to stand there and wait for somebody to finish. Because that's there was just no room for people to play the games. Everything is just so tightly packed together. Yep. Unless you're a huge sponsor. Yes. Um. But it's it. I will tell everybody you have to you have to if you haven't experienced Gen Con, you definitely need to do it once. I've had some people, you know, like say, well, what what convention would you go to? I'm like, if you haven't experienced Gen Con, check it out at least once. I my pre- preference is going to be Origins one. I could drive there. Two, I mean, it was going to make it cheaper for me. You know, two, it's closer. I mean, we I could drive to Gen Con as well. It's just a little bit further of a drive for me, so it's not you know that's not that bad. I don't have to fly anywhere. Um, you know, when you get to things like um, PAX Unplugged, you know, Philly's about eight hours away. Yeah. So then it's like, okay, do I fly there? Do we drive? I I drive. Mean, my wife my wife and I, when we went out to PAX East, we drove out to Boston. I mean, but we we did like a whole week excursion. We stopped in New York for a couple of days, went out to Boston for the weekend, came back, spent a couple of days up in, you know, up at the casino. I mean, so we did like a whole little week and a half excursion, you know, can't do that all the time. But, you know, that's no. really cool. That's why I mean, the, well, the biggest part of the reason why I started Kickstarter was so I can make sure that I can cover the news that's important. 
I mean, it, it's silly to me. I mean, okay, so you weigh, you got Origins, which I don't know, there might be 15,000 people there now. If if I didn't stay with a friend at Origins, I wouldn't be able to guarantee I was going. That's that's one. Um, you look at Origins, you go down there from Wednesday to Sunday, get a hotel room. You're spending almost the same amount of money you would spend at Gen Con for a hotel room. Yep, easily. I mean, Gen Con's hotel rooms close are a lot more expensive. But as you start moving out to the airport, they don't change that much. Yeah. I mean, you can go. I, I actually can. I don't know if I found it yet this year, but I usually get a hotel room when I go to Gen Con for under seven fifty after taxes. And I go out on Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. So, but if I go to Adepticon, I end up spending six fifty on a hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. They're not cheap. But no, they're not. <laughs> and it's, it's it's like. So if I, I looked at my Kickstarter last year and I was like, well, I would like to work all these other Kickstarters in here. And I have to find a way to bring their value up or somehow make them all equal. Right. And I can't go like, okay, Gen Con did get 30 interviews at Gen Con and it costs the fans that support me and fund, fund the blog $5,000, get 25 interviews at Adepticon. It still costs you five thousand dollars. There, there's got to be a better balance that I haven't figured out yet. I would love to add PaizoCon, which if you book PaizoCon early enough, it's very inexpensive, almost worth going to over GenCon. Like, no, that's out. That's out in Seattle, isn't it? That's in Seattle. Okay. But it's, okay. I mean, you got to take a taxi to do it, from what I understand. But it's like right across the street from the airport. So you can book room and board or room, yeah, room and hotel at Expedia for like round trip. If you book early enough, it's like $900. Oh, that's not bad. No, that's, that's awesome. So, I mean, what I would like to do is make Adepticon, Origins, and Gen Con full season, you know, and then add some of the local stuff. But those are the, those are three that covers the miniature gaming. Origins covers the board gaming, and I can super focus on role playing and miniature gaming and board gaming at Gen Con. Yeah, so that's that a good gives, selection. Yeah, that's good. That's and and I can drive to them all. They're all not one of them's over five hours. Well, six, not over six. Um, you know, and then maybe you know if I like start if it starts going crazy and I somehow get up to around twenty twenty thousand, I can be like, okay, I'll go to PAX Unplugged. PAX Unplugged, it like it just sounds cool. Like I said, PAX East was really neat. It was I'm glad I got to experience that. I heard PAX Unplugged was awesome. And I yeah, and I've I've listened to a lot of different podcasts where people have talked about it and I'm like, oh man, I wish I really went. Well, Especially pretty, since it was was the first one last year. It's pretty good size, and I think somebody told me they're ten I'd have to look it up. So but I'm gonna say what I was told was like thirty five thousand. Yeah, oh, oh, I thought I, I thought it was that that could be. I thought it was more around twenty five, but even so, it's probably on par with or being larger than Origins. Yeah, for its first year. Yeah, which is which is crazy. Yeah, which um, which actually shows you the demand out there for it. I mean, because when we went to PAX East, PAX East was crazy. Well, I'm sure some of it just has to do with the PAX name. Yeah, yeah, you know, and Origins did go through some stuff, and. And they're they're still rebuilding, but they're they're really doing a good job at that rebuild. Like, 
Go ahead. I was going to say for my last year being my first year at for last year being my first year at Origins, <laughs> I was I was really impressed with it. I really enjoyed it. I liked the way it was laid out. Um, I liked the room you had. I liked the approachability you had with all mm-hmm. of the different booths and everything. Um, I thought it was actually really good. My wife even really enjoyed it, and she was. You know, she's the one who's already been talking, you know, like, oh, here's what we're going to do this year. And, you know, already telling me, here's what we need to do while we're down there and everything. And she's already looking forward to being able to see different things and buy different things. And she enjoyed it probably just as much as I did. Well, that's good. That's that's what they're there for. But I mean, I, I mean, history wise, I started volunteering at Origins 2004, oh, no, yeah. 2003, because we closed our store in 2003. Um, and when I say volunteer, we went down on Monday before the show and helped them set up. Now they have gone to a point where they don't need volunteers on Mondays anymore to do badges and stuff. Cause it's, it's all done on time or on time in a timely fashion beforehand. Um, so we don't really go down and volunteer that way anymore. But at that point in time, when we go down and volunteer, I put in 24 to 30 hours before the show started. And then I'd go run my gaming events while my wife was listed as a volunteer and she'd do registration stuff. Oh, wow. <laughs> Holy crap. You know, so she would go do registration stuff and then she would come back and she would double as a GM and collect the event tickets and stuff and make sure all the scoring was done right. And I mean, we would run back then. We, there weren't a lot of people running miniatures events and we ran. Uh, we would run Apocalypse for 40K um for well as many people wanted to play at the table but we supplied all the minis oh wow that's cool so that's how you ended up with so many yeah well that's one that's one way i mean i actually could put what was it um we could field eight thousand points of orcs against eight thousand points of space marines and my buddy would set up a fantasy game that would run 14 hours he has an undead army that is uh, 20,000 points. Wow. That's huge. Holy crap. And we used to run a void game, which is kind of like a 40KS game, skirmish game, that we would set up six tables end to end and play on. And people would just, people would buy tickets and come to the table and like, there's no way I'm playing in this. I want to watch. Because people didn't, they, they just come and they saw us sit the table up and they're like, no, we're not going to touch your minute. We're going to watch you two play. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm sure that those are, those sound like some epic battles. Yeah, that was, that was fun. 12,000 <laughs> 12, points of like it. Void against 12,000 points of another Void. And that was, Void is probably one of the best miniature games ever made. Um, but, Sadly, there was some embezzlement and stuff, and they ended up losing the company. So nobody really plays the game anymore, mm. at least not in the States. Is it popular over in Europe still? Uh, popular enough. Uh, Scotia Grendel bought the rights to all the minis, and he's got the rights to the rule books, and he still publishes the rule books. But mm. Scotia Grendel is not a company that's really good at doing anything organized play-wise. Got it. Okay. <clears throat> and that definitely helped. A game needs that nowadays if you don't have that sort of organized play. I mean, crap. Organized play is even falling over into board games and everything now. I mean, yeah. how many how many board game publishers, you know, are coming out with, 
you know, hey, we have a board game, you know, we we have a kit for this. That's an organized play kit for this game, for that game. I mean, so it's. Well, people, it's, as, as much as the Europeans don't want to admit it, they're competitive. Yeah. I mean, they're about community first, in my opinion. But the competition has helped make the games grow. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to say? I don't remember. Well, what else? What else do you want to say about the Kickstarter? Is there anything else we need to know about it, or anything? Um, well, if we've kind of gets... mentioned everything that's going to be in it. I think well, the only thing we haven't mentioned that you might not have saw when I actually sent you the preview link was um, I have added uh, both for for basically for people who are going to do their own Kickstarters on a game uh, a preview package and a, 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 a like an overview package where the overview would be like what's in the box and gameplay, okay. um, which is something I've offered as a service kind of behind the scenes for a lot of people. Uh, and the, the rates that are on the Kickstarter are much cheaper than probably the finished product in most cases. I mean, if they're not, we can talk about it and hash it out, but like um, somebody I actually put it in the Kickstarter that for four hundred dollars, you get a finished product of like six to seven minutes long for a box break game. Oh, and nice. Okay. Well, you know that's a finished product. Yeah. You know? So, holy crap! Four hundred dollars for six minutes—that's like four thousand dollars an hour. Are you crazy? <laughs> and you know, anybody who sees that—that's what it looks like. But the truth is that. That six or seven minute video, depending on what we agree upon, um, if I do the script writing, you know, there might be that plus rehearsal time, plus learning to play your game, going back and forth with the designer and talking to the designer to make sure things are right. All that stuff is time that goes into that video. Yeah. So a six or a seven minute video, depending on the complexity of the game, can be anywhere from, I mean, the game that I'm going to make, the unboxing part, it's just, don't even do it. I mean, it's it's nine cards that repeat twice. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you lay them out, this is what's in the box. Yeah. 30 seconds, done. Um, <laughs> so, All right. then playing it, would be a different story and you that is something you'd probably want to script right um so a game that this this game probably plays in less than 20 minutes so i would say that you could easily have three to ten hours in the filming editing scripting going back and forth with a, a designer so that turns out to be more like ten dollars now yeah yeah the time the time does go fast especially when you're learning a game i mean especially if you want to get everything right it's you know, well, yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot of streamers, you know, who, you know, and I even say it at the beginning of mine, I'm like, you know, turn on the Klingon channel because I'm sure I might make a mistake or two. I'm human. You know, when we do a live playthrough of stuff, you know, it, it might, it's bound to happen. Oh, you know? I know. I so do. it's, it's, it's easy. That Klingon channel is one of the best things that they ever came out with, especially since they took away the ability to be able to add that stuff right into the middle of it. But, um, you know, it's, it's real easy to miss a ruler to, to do something. I mean, when when you're kind of getting caught up in the game and you're playing and everything, it's, well, it's, it's, I like when my wife and I do it because we can kind of sometimes catch each other. That's very helpful. I was, where I was going is I did a Dragon Buyer playthrough, which is way too long. Um, 
but a lot of people watch it for about 25 minutes, which super blows my mind, which is basically the first turn. So I should probably, <laughs> well, and that, that pretty much gives them, you know, what it is, you yeah. know, the, the concept of the game and stuff. I have made, I made so many mistakes that I had to edit and I'm like, there's no way I'm refilming this. That video, I'm not joking. I put 65 hours into filming. Wow. Holy, that's, that's a lot. And I mean, when it was all said and done, I mean, this really irked me. This was one of the reasons why over the winter, I kind of slowed down quite a bit. I was going back and forth with Corel or Pinnacle, which is the software I've been using. Okay. Because it was a 13 gig file. But when I compressed it to the MP4, it went down to like four gigs. Okay. Which is normal. When I uploaded it to YouTube, I always got the error message that YouTube said you need to use a file that is com- com- or usable by YouTube. So I'm like, well, this is the same thing. These are all of my settings that Pinnacle still hasn't given me an answer. Oh, wow. Um, they're like, well, we have to submit this to our engineering people and they will maybe get back to you sometime in the future. Nice. Um, so it turns out after I left the video on YouTube for 36 hours, YouTube fixed it. <laughs> so I went through three months of going back and forth with Pinnacle to make sure my video uploaded right. And all this time it actually did upload right in the end. Yeah, I've recently started learning Premiere. That's that's my next tackle thing that I'm trying to learn. Premiere. It I think I used Premiere early and I didn't and it, like it. And it doesn't seem like it's that bad. It's just learning where everything's at and everything that it does. It does all, it has a lot of bells and whistles to it. And it's definitely, I can see why a lot of oh, people use wait. it. Premiere is Adobe. Adobe Premiere, yeah. Yeah, I actually do want to subscribe to that if I get enough. Yep. It's, oh. It definitely seems like it's worth it. I just need to invest the time to be able to start producing videos with it. I'm not to that point yet. Yeah, everybody uh, what, just told me that's the way to go. What little bit I've learned about it so far, I'm like, okay, this actually doesn't seem that bad. It seems kind of interesting to use, but I'm like, holy crap, there's a lot that this thing can do. So it's just basically unwrapping that onion and, <laughs> and learning it. <laughs> so one of the last questions I got here on my list because I told you I had a whole list of questions here. Oh, wait, wait. I, I did. There is something I should mention about the Kickstarter. So there's, oh, go. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. We're not on that topic yet. One thing that I didn't mention before about the digital copies. Okay. Being friends with Eric Mona helped me out quite a bit. A few years ago, actually, I asked him for some some minis to use in a Kickstarter. And it never really materialized until this year. All right. So when they made their video game they made some Kickstarter limited edition minis. One of the promotional figures they originally made was the Bloodbriar Goblin Raider. Okay. Well, they ended up scrapping that model and making a new model for a whole set of minis because they had so much success. So they gave me 100 copies of that model. Wow. Oh, wow. So that's like super... Well, they, it's available on their website for sale at five bucks oh, okay, okay. A, a piece, but it, you can't get it in a booster box anywhere, and they don't usually give it out at conventions. You can only order it from them. Oh, cool. Okay. And and the Kickstarter's got Bruce Lee. Okay. Well, then you that's you you may have just won Kickstarter there, brother. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> I, I mean, Level Ninety Nine has a game called Battlecon, and yeah, I I asked I. I 
worked with Brad a few times on a few different things. And I asked him, I said, Hey, can you know, you do this? And I thought I was going to get one card. He mm-hmm. sent, he sent promo battle packs. Oh, sweet. The Bruce Lee paddle battle pack has a pawn and like 15 cards. Nice. This is, that's a, that's a pretty good prize. That's a pretty good um, gift there it, then. Yeah. That's nice. That, that is amazing. You know, there's stuff from murder of crows and, and, um, 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 Steve Jackson games, and I've got some other stuff, Arkham Horrors, and the one thing that's really exciting is Catacombs from Eldred Games. They sent me a never-before-seen promo yet, which I don't have a picture of yet because I haven't opened the box. It's not here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's coming from Canada. So, so a little bit excited about that. I'd say let's. I'd say I'd want the exclusive on that one, but you're going to get the exclusive for your site. So, <laughs> well, it won't be exclusive, but I guess they're um, they don't give out their promos a lot. Oh, really? Okay. So a lot of them are sought after for his games. Um, like they'll give them out when they go to a show, and then they'll sit on them. They don't sell them, and they'll sit them on sit on them for another show, but they won't give out the same ones at the same show two years in a row. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Cool. All right. Anything else with the Kickstarter before I ask one of my final questions here? I think I think we covered it. Okay. So we've talked about so much stuff with gaming and everything. One of the things we really haven't talked about or covered. What are you most looking forward to coming out in 2018? Either RPG or board game wise or miniature wise, since you. Since you cover the whole gamut of all three, I'm going to wow. – normally I would say board game, but I'm going to say what are you most looking forward to coming out in 2018 game-wise? I honestly think it's Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Is it 2nd Edition? I mean I, I don't know a lot of stuff about what's coming out at Gen Con yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know – or, oh, man, X-Wing 2nd Edition too. <laughs> you got to pick now. Which one? Which one? I, I don't know because I <laughs> – uh, one of the reasons why, okay, so we didn't talk about this yet either. One of the reasons that I started blogging was supposed to be a break from writing fiction. Yeah, we haven't discussed this. What it, were you doing? It's in between the pottery stuff? What the hell? <laughs> so, in, well, I started, crea- <laughs> I started writing creatively in eighth grade. Okay. Um, in the very first story I wrote, my grandmother was chasing us around without her teeth. It was a Halloween story, and she was a witch, <laughs> and my sister was the hero. And my teacher, I should have listened in college, um, but my teacher told my mom that Matt has talent and he needs to perfect it. And we both kind of blew it off because I was like, what, 14? Um, but I, I kept writing and I did stuff. Um, I wrote, took creative writing in high school, which was like two semesters. Uh, And then in college, in composition of all things, um, an editor from the Beacon was my teacher. And he's like, you have talent. He goes, I don't care what you write, just write it. He goes, I don't tell that to many people. And I didn't listen to him. I was dumb. Um, But he said that after... We had to take an object and describe it. And being the martial artist I was, I said, well, how about 
three-sectional staff. He goes, do you think you can get five pages out of a three-sectional staff? And I'm like, doesn't seem that difficult. He goes, okay, you do it. It better be good or you're going to fail. The class. This is almost like another dare, so no wonder you succeeded at it because it seems like you're able to succeed at No, he dared, me when we, <laughs> he dared me when we had to do the how-to paper. Okay. I said, I, I would like to write a paper on how to be a gentleman. And he goes, I don't think anybody your age can do that. I dare you to do it. So I did that. That one was a dare. Um, the the three sectional staff staff one was more of a a self challenge, um, and I really had a hard time writing it until I decided that I was blind. So I told a story to describe three sectional okay. staff. Yeah. Um, and in the story, the very first thing was, I'm blind, but I can see color through touch. So going across the lake. Three-sectional staff got caught on the boat. I picked it up, and I went through the description of picking it up on one end and having it heavier from, you know, like gravity. And then you traveled down the chain across to the other one, and you went on the journey of what the staff looked like. And that's how I hmm. described the staff. Interesting. All right, that's cool. Um, but in 2010, we went to Gen Con's Writer's Symposium, and I met with, well, I ended up, I ended up in a reading critique that I wasn't originally supposed to be in because they were sold out. And I read for a couple of the edit three editors and they liked what I had, which all of this, by the way, is a miracle because I thought I was going into a writing critique. So I just happened to have 5,000 words with me to read, but I was going to enter into <laughs> Paizo's short fiction competition. Oh, oh, that's awesome. Well, okay. It was uh, by the Pathfinder Society, which isn't part of Paizo, but Paizo lets them use the name. It's more detailed than that. So I read that, and two of the editors really liked it, and one did not. Um, and the one editor said, he goes, you're very Hemingway-esque. And I'm like, I don't know if that... It, it took me a year of building a relationship to ask him whether or not that was an insult or a compliment. <laughs> because the first words out of the editor who didn't like me goes, Hemingway's dead. <laughs> and he's dead for a reason. I was like, oh. <laughs> um, so the blog ended up blowing up with commitment things like, you know, games showing up at my door and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have to at least do this part and, you know, do this because that way I don't feel bad. Um, so there's a little bit of a, a guilt struggle there. So I didn't write nearly as much. And now I'm trying to get back to that a little bit more. And I'm trying to incorporate that. One of the big plans for the blog that's not actually in the Kickstarter is to start incorporating a lot more writing into it and providing a lot more value. Like I want to write... Um, Magical weapons guides, armament guides, uh, equipment guides, uh, maybe paladin guides, and not paladin guides that are designed to cheese out the, the paladin, but mm -hmm. to do this. But more importantly, I want to start writing adventures. I have my own game world, uh, and I, I've had my own game world for six years. I've just never really pursued it. 
I mean, and when I say I have my own game world for six years, it's a three ring binder that's two inches thick. Oh my God. 78 continents or 78 countries. Yeah, that's a, that's a world. (laughs) It's a world. And that's really only a fraction of the world. So we do, both of us do some, I've just recently gotten into video content. You've been doing video for a while. And it seems I've read a couple other places that some people are starting to get more back and going back to their roots with the written stuff. You think video maybe has peaked out for a lot of us and maybe oh, no, going no, back no. to written may. My, my reasons for writing content to provide more value on the blog is so that people buy more stuff. Um, got it okay I, I mean that's the motivational factor behind it not everything that i'm gonna write i mean there are uh, i shouldn't say it like that um i want to write everything that i'm planning on writing but i would not come up with the idea of writing a guide necessarily when a guide might be available already on the internet okay um or like magic items anybody and their mom can make magic items so i'm doing it for, in part with magic items or with like alchemy or extra potions or things as an exercise. But at the same time, I'm going to share that with you guys. Mm-hmm. Anybody who listens who wants to, you know, buy it. Um, one of the things that I actually plan on doing is writing. My goal is going to be after I get through the Kickstarter, probably into the fall, is doing a minimum of two short stories a month and then putting them up self published in a few different places um, as like, I don't know, depends on how many words they are. 10,000 words, maybe a couple of bucks. Cause I'm an unknown author. Right. I mean, if I was a stack pull, that'd be like three fifty. Yeah. Um, and that kind of thing. One of the things I actually do want to do actually is part of the Kickstarter. And we didn't talk about this was I have, I intend on as stretch goals doing a travel guide for Columbus and a travel guide for Indianapolis. Oh, that's actually a really good idea. And anybody who's in the Kickstarter, it'd be like a 99 cent add-on. Yeah. And when I say a travel guide, I'm pushing, my goal is 40 to 50 pages. I don't know if I'll be able to get that first. And they're going to be living travel guides too, because I'm going to put them up on Amazon and probably on um, drive-thru. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and then there'll be like two or three bucks there. So the, anybody who helps out the Kickstarter can buy a living travel guide for 99 cents. And that'll include any of the reviews I write on, on restaurants, which if you guys, oh, I didn't post them to my blog yet. Last year's Kickstarter, you guys can check an update. I uh, reviewed Hotbox Pizza, Hotbox, Hotbox Pizza, and uh, Harry and Izzy's. And okay. I like food, so, <laughs> so I, like why to, not? I like to write creatively. Uh, so there, hey, I actually, it works. I was, that's actually that's actually a very interesting stretch goal. That's actually something very useful. Yeah, it's, it's definitely thinking outside the box. I mean, because there's a lot of people that come around here. I mean, to both of those, to both conventions, Origins and Gen Con, that don't know the area and could really find that useful. That's 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 a really good idea there. Well, I I did it actually more so because well, one, I like food, and it it kind of ties back into those gaming food community roots. Yeah, you know, and I'm really trying to work on it, like. When I say that I want to do food, I actually have the channel outlined for probably a hundred videos already. 
I need to do a couple things. Like I need a new stovetop. <laughs> and it's just, how do you find all the time? You know, you have to be consistent. So six episodes of roleplay ramblings a year really isn't enough. Uh, so, you know, if you're going to script it, it's a lot of work. And then yada, 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 more stuff like that. But it's all about coming full circle. And to answer your question about peaking, I don't think so. But written content certainly does a lot of things. Like for the blog, the more written content I can have on it, the better it is. Yeah. Um, that's why I really want to start doing I'm I'm gonna start treating the food section. I think a lot like this is what we're doing for dinner, and I'm gonna try and do that at least three days a week. Um, when I'm not at work, my schedule is I'm gonna start publishing or creating at seven a.m. and work till three. Work out for an hour, and then from four to six, I cook and research food. That's that's the goal for my that's how my day is planned. And that should that's gonna give me roughly the twenty-five to thirty-five hours a week on the blog I want. And it should totally free up Thursday for eight to ten hours of creative writing. Cause right sounds now like a, sounds like a good plan. Well, I only work twenty hours a week, so I, I should be able to do that. Um but yeah, I think for me, going back is I mean, the blog got in the way of me being published. I should I mean, I, I walked away from Gen Con with the ability to work with the Shadowrun editor. And I've been working with him ever since. Two and a half, three years ago, he let me do an outline. And, you know, he lives away and he's been, he was hard to communicate with then. But now we communicate a lot better together. It is official. Once I get an approved outline for a Shadowrun novella, I get a contract. Nice. Well, that's awesome. That's not a bad piece of work for what's going to be my second published material. Yeah, that would be good for the portfolio there. Shadowrun's a good start. I mean, yeah, I, I would I was, say that is definitely a good start. I was totally surprised when Edverse published my article too, but um, that was that was an interesting story. Hey, I want to write this art. I want to write this little fiction piece that people can use in their game with me about a shop owner. Oh, we already have somebody doing something about a shop owner, but would you please write something about the economy? Um, I don't know anything about the economy. No, really. We need a couple thousand words on an economy. Can you do that? <laughs> I'm sure I can do that. Well, how long do I have? Three weeks. I'm like, rule number one that every editor has ever told me, never say no to an editor. So I said <laughs> yes. And by the time it was done, they liked it, well, and they good. published it, and I actually got paid. That's even better. <laughs> I got a royalty check. Something like that. <laughs> I got a royalty check for a dollar sixty-seven. <laughs> I am a paid author, and that that's been kind of a life-changing experience for me. I've really been thinking about it more, and I don't know how much you hang out with other YouTube creators, but um, oh. You, you don't get to watch the YouTube creator channel because you have to have like a thousand subscribers before you can do that. One of the big things they say that if you want to have any success at it is you have to provide value. And that value is not the ads on YouTube. That value is the stuff that you produce, whether it's sculpting something to sell. Um, I don't know if you watch DM Scotty 
or the DMs Craft or DM Chiginfo at all, those guys all produce something that they can sell. DM Scotty is he's a machine. Um, he he creates the 2.5 terrain system and he builds everything out of cardboard. He sells his DVDs. He sells. He's got an Amazon store where he affiliates everything with everything else. That's where the value is. And anytime you can break away from the YouTube mold or whatever engine you're using and provide value, you're going to get more in return for it. Yeah. Like we talked about sponsorship before. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, we did. You, know, you can get – like I already know that I'm going to probably before too long here, probably May, Memorial Day weekend, I'm going to start writing letters to a few different companies. I want – Last year, I didn't do it. I want Kind to sponsor me for Gen Con if it gets funded. I'm going to ask Rockstar to sponsor me. And initially, the sponsorships are going to start off small. Kind bars, hey, I'll you know do this in return for two cases of your Kind bars for Gen Con. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's a silly thing for them to say no to. I mean, yeah, I, I might not reach the 25 million people they want me to reach, but for the investment of what costs them maybe $30. They get a, a big enough return off of YouTube advertisement from me saying, Hey, I'm eating kind bars this week. <laughs> that's Hey, that's not a bad idea. You know, or like a bison bar because it's, it's got higher protein content and that's how I live at a, a show. So that I could tie that into a whole thing, Gen Con survival. Yeah which I've done in the past and hasn't been received very well, but I, I, I'm still a firm believer that's going to work. I think the first time I had gone to Gen Con, I think I watched a couple of videos on basically what to do and what to expect just to kind of prepare myself for it. Drink water. Yeah. Number one, drink water. Yeah, I, I do that all the time. So that's just, I, I would be, we, even when we went to PAX East, we walked around bottles of water in our backpack and hand sanitizer. I don't even, I don't bother with hand sanitizer. But that's I'm immune to most things, so yeah. I always play it safe and have the hand sanitizer with me. <laughs> I have I have gone. I mean, all these people get con crud, and I'm like, I'm fortunate because I don't. But I do things that's... too. There, I do some smart things. I avoid convention restrooms. Okay. And when I do use the convention restrooms, I use a towel to open the door. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That's and I throw that towel. Out, I throw that towel out at. The closest trash can. Yes, that is that is rule number one. No matter where you are in public, but you pretty you, much do that. If you can use the restrooms at a restaurant, you're much better off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, elbow rub instead of fist bump. Yep. Keep your hands away from your face and you're good. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we have covered pretty much just about every topic and then some. On yeah, the we, podcast we, tonight, we have covered a gamut of we have way about. more way more questions that I had written, and we were able to just come up with a lot of different topics. But um, anything else about the Kickstarter you want to mention before the end of the show here? Fund me. There oh, you wait. go, people. Well, give what's the you? I don't know if you know what the URL is, but what what should they search for on Kickstarter when you go live? Oh, through Gamer Goggles Season Eight. All right, there you go. Everybody look for that, and that's going to be going live on Monday. Monday. Is there, is there a time that people can start looking for this? I am most likely going to launch it at 9 a.m. <laughs> okay. All <laughs> right. That's cool. I'm, 
I'm going to spend the day. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fair. All right, everybody. Gamer Goggles Season 8. Check for that on Kickstarter. You can check out Matt's website, gamer-goggles.com, where he posts most of his content. Okay, the one thing I don't have in front of me is what your YouTube channel is. Do you know what your YouTube channel URL is? It is... Oh, huh. that's weird. YouTube.com user Gamer Goggles. That doesn't sound right. You could just you should be able to just go to youtube.com slash gamer goggles. I don't think they need to type in the user. Because okay. I know mine's I know mine's youtube.com slash what I'm playing now, and I just tell people to go to that and it works. Yeah, mine's older. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is. Um, All right. Matt, I definitely like to thank you for being on the show this week. It was definitely a great conversation that we had, and it was great talking to you. It was fun. It was fun. It was a lot different than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> definitely going to have to do this again because I'm, I have a feeling there's still a couple more stories in you that you might be able to tell us. Maybe. But I just... definitely like to have thank you for being on the show. Um, everybody check out Gamer Goggles Season 8 on Kickstarter coming up Monday. Look for it 9 a.m. That will be Eastern Time for anybody that might listen to the podcast outside of the Eastern Time Zone. But until next week, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll be back then with another show. Bye, guys. Hey, gamers, this is Joe, and I would definitely like to thank Matt for coming on the podcast with me. Hopefully, he has some good success with his Kickstarter. But as always, you know what to do. Send me some more emails. Let me know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can also join us in some conversations over on BoardGameGeek. We do have a guild over there, guild number 2440. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop the G, like I always say. On Facebook, just do a search for what I'm playing now. Our Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. And you can also subscribe to us on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash what I'm playing now. Everybody, you know what to do until next week. Have a great week gaming. Go play some games and don't forget to let me know what you're playing now. We'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast. Until then, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.